God and praise Him. Amen? Amen. At this morning, if you would, please stand as we have the reading of God's Word this morning. <clears throat> Psalm 63, first five verses. Before we read the Word of God, let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, it is a glorious day. Days, a day of opportunity. For moments as we gather here to honor and praise and glorify you, to fellowship with other believers. And just give you all credit for life itself. May your word speak truth to our hearts this morning. And may your word reveal our spirit to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 5. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. Amen and amen. This morning, I want to reveal something to you about our message this morning. And I want to do it through three photos that you'll see up on the screens. And I think the pictures and photos will speak for themselves. But as we go through them, I want you to put yourself in each picture and then see if you can come up with what these photos are sharing with us. Mike, if you would, show me photo one. Everyone see this okay? Not really. Too much light? How's this side? What do we see? We see a large crowd, right? A sporting event. It was brought to my attention this morning, so any of you in the New England area, in this area, you would know that I was told this, this was a football game, a Rutgers football game. Am I right, Mike? Okay. Look at these people that are gathered by the thousands, showing their passion for their football team, right? Photo number two. A political scene. Political gatherings. Big thing in our country today, right? What do we see? People. More people. Crowds. Passionate about their views on politics. Agree? Photo number three. Do the photos speak for themselves?
Maybe we're misguided in the way we live life by looking at these three, three photos. In these three photos, we show the passion that we have in our hearts. Very revealing. Reminds me of a story. There was a young boy who spent the week with his grandfather on the farm. While walking around, he noticed the chickens. They were scratching and playing around, around their pen. And the boy said, they ain't got it. Next, he saw a colt in the field playing and kicking up its heels. And he replied, he ain't got it. After examining the animals on his grandfather's farm and seeing that none of them had it, the young boy finally found the old donkey in the barn. And when he saw the donkey's long, frowning face, and the way the donkey just stood there, he screamed out to his grandfather, Come quick! I found it! I found it! And when his grandfather asked him, What is it that you have found? He said, Papa, I have found an animal that has the same kind of religion that you have. Ouch. Too many of us can relate to this story. In fact, too many of us resemble this story. And in our reading of our word today, God has a direct message to all people. Specifically this morning to FBC Wallingford. A recent poll was taken among pastors. And the question was asked, what do you consider to be the church's greatest threat? The number one answer was lost passion for God. Another question was asked, what do you consider to be the church's greatest weakness? The number one answer was the lack of zeal or commitment among church members. The second answer was lack of burden for lost souls. So why is it that passion so often seem to be lacking in God's people? Larry Crabb, he's a Christian counselor. And an author, and he once wrote, The core problem is not that we are too passionate about bad things, but that we are not passionate enough about good things. Passion. How is it defined? Definitions given in the Webster's Dictionary include a powerful emotion, zealous love, boundless enthusiasm, and an abandonment display of emotions. Passion. We are all passionate about something, right? Passion can be applied to so many different things and areas of our lives to a positive result or a negative result. In all of our lives. Unfortunately, most church members, listen up, Most church uh, um, people are passionate about being uncaring and uninterested. 
or living without any notable passion when it comes to the kingdom of God. All you have to do is look at the state of the church today. All you have to do is remember the three photos that you were just presented. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus commands this. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. In this commandment is found a treasure that exceeds all others. You know what the treasure is? Do you know what the treasure is in that verse? It's the Lord God himself. Nothing else compares. Nothing. The glory of God is so amazing and so satisfying that once discovered, everything else pales in comparison. When we divert our attention away from the Lord, our love for God begins to grow cold. It's that simple. It is that simple. When we give our attention to something else away from the Lord, our love for God will grow cold. Very simple. Pastor Greg Simus, he once said, a lethargic, lazy church can be traced back to hearts that have misplaced passions. The greatest treasure is no longer Christ, but something or someone else. Let me read this again. A lethargic church can be traced back to hearts that have misplaced passions. The greatest treasure is no longer Christ, but something or someone else. That is so true. If you take notes during sermon message, sermon or a message, you need to take what I'm about to say to you, jot it down. If you do anything in the service today, hear this. To love the Lord our God is the heart of a believer's mission, ministry, and purpose. To love the Lord our God is the heart of the believer's mission, ministry, and purpose. And from this, love will flow. The anointing will be there. And your ability to be a disciple will be clear. Do you, listen closely, do you have an intense emotion of love for God? Are you enthusiastic about serving God? Do you hunger and thirst after God? Are you seeking after the things of God and a godly life? Do you delight to be in his presence? Do you have a passion to please him in all that you do? All those questions are very challenging. Questions that demand an explanation if we are guilty of any of those. They deserve an answer. 
Think back. When you first become a believer and, and you truly understand what is spiritually taking place, you get excited about it. Think back. And you think, oh, my sins are forgiven. I now have a purpose for living, and now I have a future home in heaven. You passionately gave your life to Christ. You remember? But as time time passed, you begin to lose your steam. You begin to lose your zest, your enthusiasm. What happened? And why does it happen? Let me take you to Luke chapter 24, verse 32. Scripture says, And they said to one another, these are the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Did not our heart burn within us while he, Jesus, talked with us by the way? And while he, Jesus, opened to us the Scriptures? Just like these disciples in Luke 24, traveling to Emmaus, our inability to per, uh, perceive the presence of the Lord often stems from this, from hopelessness, from apathy, from inactivity, thinking about what we've lost or what we do not have. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes. In verse 6, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For righteousness, Why? For they will be filled. Most of us have never experienced a real hunger, a real thirst for the spiritual blessings and promises of God. Most people haven't. But do you understand kingdom people live with this? This is who they are? They hunger and they thirst after righteousness. They seek God. And within that, God says, you will be filled. Most of us have never experienced that. Our days are filled with so many things blinding us. How can I say this? Uh, Blinding us to the simplicity of realizing There is only one best thing to love, serve, worship, praise, and be thankful to God. But our lives are so full with blinding things that keep us from loving, serving, worshiping, praising, and being thankful to God. As a believer, we are to walk In that all day, 24-7. And referring back to Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus was affirming a key principle of historic faith of the Jews. But he was also making a point about how everything begins and flows out of the action of people intentionally seeking to increase their passion and love for God. According to Jesus, Mark chapter 12, verse 30, we are to put all our efforts into this commandment. 
All our actions, our speech, our motivations, our feelings, our emotions, our intellect, our energy, everything. Everything spiritually and physically needs to be focused on loving God completely and passionately. How are we doing? But you know what? That action requires practice, a lifestyle. The action requires the practice of relationship building with the God who loves us. The God who accepts us. The God who calls us his sons and daughters and co-heirs of his kingdom. How are we living up to that family recognition? This means paying attention to God. Spending time with him in prayer. In meditation. In reading his word, in nourishing our Christian identity, in fellowship with fellow believers, in serving in the Lord with passion and enthusiasm. What's draining you of your spiritual passion for God? What is it? Well, you find words, I'll answer. (laughs) (laughs) Ken Weaver is a pastor and a Bible teacher. In a lecture series that's entitled Our Passion for Spiritual Growth, he states there are some passion killers that destroy our zeal for God. And we're going to review those today. And the first one is this. The first passion killer that destroys our zeal for God is this, an unbalanced schedule. And in this lecture, he he reminds us there are There is a power struggle over our time. This means either you are overworked or you are underworked. In each case, you can lose your passion for God. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter uh, 3, there is a, uh, life is a series of seasons, right? There's a season for everything and there's a rhyme to life. There's a rhythm to life. You need both input and output in your life. You need to rest and you need to work. We all are different in our personalities, right? And we can go to, um, go to the extreme in each one of those. Too much of one of the other will cause us to do what? To lose our passion. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. God is not against human effort at all. He honors hard work. But we all need to uh, need adequate rest and times of spiritual refreshment. We agree with that, right? Careful, it's, it's careful to maintain a balance. That's what we need to do here. Work while trusting God and rest while trusting God. We need to do those things. For some, I'm going to be describing some people today, either or or. Here we go. For some, the problem is you're always giving out. Always helping, you're always sharing, you're always serving, you're always working, you're always being generous. But you never take the time to recharge. You've become unstable on the work side of it all. And what happens? You lose your passion. That's for sure. We see it all the time. There are others just the opposite. You're always taking in and never giving out. 
You go to Bible studies. You go to seminars. You go to uh, Christian concerts. You go to workshops. You go to church. You're always learning, always taking in. But you're never giving out anything. You have no ministry. You have no service. I have just described in those two descriptions everyone in this church building. You either have too much output and not enough input, or you have too much input and not enough output. Now, I'm sure God can help us figure out which one describes our lives. Amen? Amen. And you know who you are. So what's the antidote? What's the cure? Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. It says, I don't, I don't think we have it on the screen, but I'll sum it up with these words. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Take the time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. Are you? How do you do that? One word. Balance. Balance. We all know to be physically fit, right? And to be physically fit, we have to do what? We have to have a balanced diet. We struggle with that one, don't we? You also need to be spiritually fit. You must have a balance of of God's purposes for your life. Time to worship God privately and corporately. A time to... A time to fellowship with other believers, a time to read God's word, a time to have a ministry, a service, a time you are sharing your faith with others. Are you balancing your spiritual schedule? Or is there no balance at all? If not, you will lose your passion for God. It's lost. And that's obvious. It's obvious in the three photos that I showed you earlier. There is no passion for God. And the second thing he mentioned, an unused talent. He goes on to say an unused talent will cause you to lose your passion for God. 1 Peter 4.10 Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in various forms. My gifts are for your benefit. Your gifts are for my benefit. God has given us a special role in this world and in this church community. He wants you and me to contribute with our lives. He wants us to contribute with our lives. Not the way you want to do it, but the way he wants to do it. The Lord is, he grieves when his church is not using their gifts. Your gift was not given to you to be, to sit on. If that's what you do, 
If you sit on that gift, you will lose your passion for God. Then he goes on to say, number three, an unconfessed sin. This is a big one. Few things rob us of, of joy, rob our confidence, rob our, our passion more quickly than, than guilt, sin. Here's a truth for all human beings. I, never, I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way. We cannot feel love and guilt at the same time. You can't. Psalm 38, verses 4 through 6. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low all day long. I go about mourning. That's what guilt does. And in there, you feel no love. You know, a lot of us work with uh, computers, and you know what? Sometimes they crash. They stop working, right? Some programs try to, to write the wrong thing to the wrong place, and, and it just kind of shuts down. It's gone. Sin and guilt does that to us. It shuts us down. We're not made to live with guilt. God created us to deal with those situations in our life, sin and guilt, immediately. He sent Jesus to die on the cross and to say, I want to offer you a gift, freedom from guilt. And some of you here this morning are in the midst of a, a, personal, uh, a personal system crash. You're trying to keep uh, uh, passion alive. But that unconfessed sin or guilt in your life keeps crashing your system. So what do you do? Take what you can do right now. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. We know this verse. If we confess our sins, say it out loud. He is faithful and just and forgive us of our sins and purifies from all unrighteousness. Don't wait. Do it now. Right now, take it to God, confess it. Because if you don't, your passion for God is gone. God, forgive me. Please restore my passion. Help me to, to love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. Where's your passion? Where is it? The fourth cause for a loss of passion towards God is this. An unresolved conflict. Conflict drains the passion for God. It drains it right out of you. Have you ever woke up from a sleep knowing you're going to have one of those uh, zippity-doo-dah days? And you just knew you were going to have one of those days. You jump out of bed, you're, you're ready for the day, you shower, you have breakfast, you're ready. You begin to walk out the door and you have an argument with your spouse. 
All the zip has gone out of your doodah. I mean, it's like the air going out of a tire when conflict comes. Conflict, it just takes all that, all that passion out of your life. Is that not true? Someone or some of us may have had that this morning. You just have a doodah day now. Let's be honest. Some of you are in are situations at home, at work, where conflict is, is constant. You cannot always control the emotions of other people. We know this. But you can control your emotions amid conflict. Right? The three emotions that kill our passion during conflict are these. Resentment, jealousy, and anger. In Job chapter 5, verse 2, the words say, Resent kills the fool, and envy slays the simple. Resentment and envy will kill your passion for God. Same book, chapter 18, Job 18, verse 4. You who tear yourselves to pieces in anger. Anger is not good. Anger hurts only you. Do you realize that? You could be angry at me, but guess what? It's not hurting me. It's hurting you. You've put your own self into that prison cell. And only you have the key to get out. That's why forgiveness is so important. If you want the passion for God to be renewed in your heart, in your life, you must forgive. You must let it go. Got to let it go. The fifth cause of lost passion for God. Unsupported lifestyle. Unsupported lifestyle. You could lose passion for God when you're not spending time around others who have a passion for God. There's no fellowship with other believers in your life. We need that. You need to be around people who have a passion for God. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. I think Mike has this one up there. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them fall down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. We need each other. We're all different. We bring different things to the table. But we need each other. We fall sometimes. We make mistakes sometimes. So we need all people to help us get back up. Do you realize that human beings were made for relationships? 
God makes that very clear. You need relationships with others who, whose desires are to live passionately for God. If you call yourself a Christian, shame on you if you are not fellowshipping with believers and around people who love God. True story. A pastor was interviewing a Christian woman from one of the Survivor shows. You remember those? Do they still have those? Well, anyway, she was a contestant, and this pastor was interviewing her, and she had been told that she could bring five things to the location with her. And she stated that one of the items that she wanted to bring was her Bible. But they told her, no, you cannot bring a Bible. You've got to bring something else. So she went to this designated location without a Bible, with no Christian relationships. And guess what happens in her life? Easy to figure out, huh? Her character began to change. The way she spoke changed. Her attitude towards others changed. Jealousy. Hatred became a part of her life. She told this pastor one sentence. I didn't realize how weak I really was. Some of you here do not realize how weak you really are. Christians, believers, need relationships with other believers to grow spiritually and maintain their passion for God. The sixth passion killer is an unclear purpose. When you forget the purpose of your life, there's a sure way that you're going to kill your passion for God. You can bank on that one. Life without purpose is activity without direction. It's going through the motions. Going through the motions without meaning. It's like gathering here this morning. Going through the motions, singing songs. Without meaning. Passion and purpose go together. Think about this. Passion and purpose go together. When you have a clear purpose, watch this. When you have a clear purpose, there is passion. I often, I'm going to share this with a few of you. I often have people come up to me, Steve, I've got a great ministry that I think we as a church need to get involved in. I said, if you can answer two questions for me, I'll support you in this ministry. I'll walk with you, help you in any way I can. I said, first of all, does this ministry increase the kingdom of God? Second, are you going to lead it? 99% of them walk away. No passion. But it was their idea. No passion. We got something for you to do, pastor. We got something for the lay leaders of the church to do, pastor. But no, I'm not going to lead it. 
going through the motions without any meaning. Passion and purpose go together. It's easy to forget why we were created. We get distracted by, by budgets, by bills, by possessions, sports, traditions, all kinds of other things, right? We can go on and on and on. It's easy to forget why we were created. When a believer forgets why God put you on earth, you will drift away towards apathy and laziness. There's no more passion for God. It must be God's purposes for your life. You need a cause greater than yourself that gives life significance and meaning. The more you understand God's purposes for your life, the more you will live out the purposes with passion. An unclear purpose will kill your passion. Finally, number seven, a malnourished spirit will kill your passion. A malnourished spirit will kill your passion. Every day you face all kinds of circumstances that conspire to deflate your spirit and your heart. Every single day. Today's no different. You will get up tomorrow morning. You will have distractions, for sure. Disappointments, for sure. Challenges, problems, pressures, frustrations, fears, failures, and fatigue. You'll have that tomorrow. But you must intentionally nourish your spirit. Nobody else is going to do it for you. I'm not going to do it for you. Sheila's not going to do it for you. It's up to you. So how do I do that? How do I plug into God, the source of life? The source of renewal, of freshness. How do I have this, this living, vital, daily, passionate relationship with God that keeps my spirit nourished? Understand this. And I know in the back of your minds, you know this. You need time with God every single day. You need fellowship with other believers You need to read God's word and apply it to your life. Read God's word and apply it to your life. You need to have a ministry. And you need to share your faith with other people. And if if you choose just one of these and forget the others, you will be imbalanced you will lose your passion for God you can't just pick one you need them all we talked about balance earlier the starting point is to remember how God sees and relates to you hear me on this remember how God sees and relates to you we know it but we forget it and here it is do you know God is completely and totally in love with you. 
Do you really understand that? The reason you are not passionate about God is you have forgotten how passionate God is about you. A burglar by the name of Edward McBride in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He kicked in the door of a house. He grabbed a duffel bag full of electronic gear. As he left the house, a man that was working next door saw him and he called 911. The police arrived as McBride was running and jumping into an ice-cold Arkansas River with a bag in his hand. A man was fishing in the river and saw officers go in after McBride. They were yelling at him to come back to the shore. McBride went down once, he went down twice, and then he didn't come back up. When the fire department recovered McBride's body about 30 to 45 minutes later, his hand was frozen to the bag. True story. And you know what? In that story, you know, we're all a part of it. We too have clutched onto things of this world. All the while, Jesus is pleading with us to leave the raging cold waters and come to safety. But we're out there holding on to them and drowning. How can we know that God is passionate about us? How can we know this? You don't have to go too far. Jesus died with one hand reaching up to the Father and the other reaching out to us. Literally, Jesus was and is a human bridge to heaven and our relationship with God. So many of us have a hand clutched onto so many things of this world. So much so, it takes up our other hand. And over time, we lose our grip and passion for God. Romans 12, 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. As I conclude this morning, as the praise team comes up, as we prepare for an altar call and the Lord's Supper, where is your passion? Where is your passion when coming into God's presence? Don't be distracted by them. Where is your passion when coming into God's presence? Where is your enthusiasm in your worship and praise? Where is your delight in hearing the word of God? Where is your fervency in service to God? Where is your hunger for the things of God? These challenges, I mean, these are very challenging questions and they demand our response. Amen? They do. Have the things of this world assume more status? More significance, more value to you than, than God does? Look around you. 
I guess we have that answer, right? How can you sit in these pews each Sunday morning and not be passionate about God? How can you hear the word of God preached, sing the songs of praise and worship and not become stirred in your spirit? How is that even possible? It is God who allowed you to be in this worship service this morning. Only God. That's why you're here. He was, it was God who reached down. He picked us up out of the mud and the muck and mire of this sinful world we're living in. He pulled us from that. You're a new creation in God. Amen. It was God who gave you your life and he gave it to you more abundantly. It was God who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. It was God who accepted you. He redeemed you and justified you in in the process of saving you. How can we not have passion for God? How can we not? All I will leave you with is this. Let us renew our passion for God. This morning, Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Let's close it with that verse. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Amen? Amen. Before we come to the Lord's table, I want to give you the opportunity to renew your passion for God. Listen to the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning and respond to his calling on your life. Give yourself a few moments. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, what a glorious time this is, an opportunity for us to confess, to repent, to call upon you to bring freshness to our life, renewal to our life, our passion for you, Our love for you. Breathe life into it. Lord, bring your people back. Bring them to your altar this morning. If it be, but they kneel and just pray and ask for your wisdom through the words given this morning. May their passion be evident as they come before you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the time that you've given us, the opportunity to just testify before others. So, Lord, let them come. Let them pray. Let them confess. Let them cry out to you, our almighty God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. For a few moments, as they continue to play in the background, God is calling you. Please respond. Please respond.
God is always calling, always ready to receive. And always ready to bless. Amen. 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 This time I'm going to ask those serving our elements for our service this morning. Would you please stand? Come to the table. In the 22nd chapter of Luke. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks. And he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine till the kingdom of God comes. Ladies, would you?
before we partake of the, the bread. Cindy Altofnes, would you lead us in a word of prayer? Thank you for this opportunity to remember you, what your death on the cross has meant for us, what your rising again has done for us. Thank you for your body, which was broken for us. The wafer is a representation of your body. Amen. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray before we partake of the cup. Lord Heavenly Father, as we partake of this cup, may we be reminded of the blood that you shed for all mankind, the sinful world in which we live, in which we partake in. Lord, we thank you for this blessing, your work on the cross that brought salvation to man in relationship back with God. So we praise and honor and glorify you and remember you and your work on the cross this morning. Amen. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Please stand and rise as we begin to close the service in song.